chapter four of wild bird guests by ernest baines this librivox recording is in the public domain destruction of birds by man savage tribes not influenced by civilization seldom cause a serious decrease in the numbers of birds about them they usually kill only what they need for their own immediate use as food and clothing and to a smaller extent ornament and even though they may not be restrained by feelings of humanity or desire to be provident their weapons are usually so crude that they cannot inflict wholesale destruction upon any species sometimes as in the case of the eskimo they gather large quantities of the eggs of certain kinds of birds but usually these birds are present in such vast numbers the eskimo population is so small and the other bird enemies so few that no noticeable impression is made upon the colonies of little auks and other birds whose eggs are taken but when civilized man creates a market for the flesh or plumage of the birds hunted by the savage the latter is often urged to help to supply that market then he may become a very dangerous enemy of the birds when he has supplied his own needs his work is not done it is never done he has those big markets to supply and the more birds he kills the more he will be paid for so it is to his advantage to kill all he can and he goes on killing until there are no more birds to kill or until for some reason there is no more demand for them and therefore it no longer pays him to kill them the head-hunting natives of borneo and other islands of the same group have hunted and killed the wonderful birds of paradise to supply feathers for women's hats until some species are extinct and all others in danger of extinction but as destroyers of bird life civilized men are infinitely more dangerous than savages their most peaceful activities mean serious interference with the birds they begin to clear the land of the forests growing upon it and the homes of millions of birds go down before the axe they drain the marshes and vast numbers of other birds are not only driven out of their homes but are deprived of their favorite feeding grounds they erect lighthouses which every year lure thousands of birds to their destruction the light on the statue of liberty in new york harbor has been responsible for a great loss of bird life it is said that on one morning soon after its erection there were picked up at its base one thousand four hundred birds which had been killed the night before the thousands of miles of telegraph telephone electric light and trolley wires stretched in every direction across civilized countries kill many birds which accidentally fly against them more than once i have picked up dead snipe immediately below telegraph wires and a neighbor recently picked up a badly wounded woodcock beneath the telephone wire in his garden 
tall wire fences are another cause of destruction close to a small enclosure one hundred feet square and surrounded by wire netting six feet high i picked up in one summer five dead or wounded birds the eight and a half foot wire fence surrounding the corbin game preserve in new hampshire probably accounts for the lives of many birds every year i walked around it one day and in the twenty-seven miles i flushed a number of ruffed grouse five of them dashed right into the fence some of them with such force as to leave tufts of feathers clinging to the wires none of these birds happened to kill itself but employees of the corbins tell me that they have many times picked up dead grouse along the fence a few days ago a boy working on the road near the park brought me a dying hermit thrush which he thought had been injured in this way then civilized man is chiefly responsible either directly or indirectly for the terrible forest fires which not only destroy the homes and food supply of millions of birds but at times as in the nesting season must cause the immediate destruction of all young birds within the burning area and probably many of the old ones as well perhaps even greater destruction is wrought by the great autumn fires which lure hosts of migrants to their doom they become bewildered and fall into the flames not long ago mr nathan c schaefer superintendent of public instruction made an earnest appeal to the school children of pennsylvania for help in the prevention of forest fires he pointed out many of the evils of such fires and among them the fact that they destroy all the birds nests and their eggs and the young birds of course much of this destruction is not to be avoided we must clear the land in order that we may have farms and cities we must drain the marshes for the same reason and as a matter of public health and the lighthouses telegraph wires and fences follow as a matter of course fires are unnecessary and often avoidable but even these are generally the result of accident and are comparatively seldom set with any intention to injure the birds nor are men to blame for killing such birds as they actually need for food the early settlers were obliged to hunt in order to live and waterfowl and what are commonly known as game birds played an important part in saving our ancestors from starvation in those early days wild ducks and geese wild turkeys wild pigeons grouse and quail were here in countless numbers and as the number of people in the country was for a long time comparatively small the birds they took for food were never missed from the numberless flocks and coveys which dotted the waters and swarmed in the forests in fact for many years the settlers might have been counted among the friends of the birds because they also killed off mountain lions wildcats wolves foxes raccoons opossums and other natural enemies that would doubtless have destroyed more birds than were taken by the hunters but gradually very gradually at first the tide changed against the birds as more and more people thronged to our shores more and more food was needed to sustain them birds were easy to get and cheap to buy and they were killed and sold 
hundreds of towns and cities grew up great markets were established and more and more gunners took the field every year in order to supply those markets professional game dealers came into existence and professional market gunners took up their trade and saw to it that they were well supplied with birds at first the game dealers would not buy more than could be used within a few days that is before it spoiled but presently the system of cold storage was invented and there seemed to be no limit to the quantity which would be bought and stored away another class of men the sportsmen also began to kill the birds not because they actually needed them for food but because they found pleasure and recreation in hunting them nor were the game birds the only ones to suffer with the coming of certain fashions in dress came a demand for bird plumage for women's hats and another class of bird killers known as plume hunters sprang into existence these men made a practice of shooting any kind of bird for which the milliners had a market at one time it was grebes at another gulls and terns snowy herons or bright-coloured songbirds like orioles and scarlet tanagers to supply this ever-increasing army of shooters great gun factories were established and the ingenuity of many inventors was applied to the making of more effective guns weapons with which men could kill more birds the old flintlock was replaced with a more reliable gun discharged by means of a cap the muzzle-loading gun gave way to a breech-loading gun which could be fired three times as fast then came the double-barreled breech-loader nearly twice as deadly as the single-barreled and this was followed by the pump-gun and automatic shotguns said to be about ten times as effective as the old muzzle-loader before these weapons in the hands of thousands of men the wild fowl disappeared like snow before a summer wind some of them never to return the great auk a flightless seabird inhabiting the coasts and islands of the north atlantic was the first to become extinct from early times it had been the victim of attacks by voyagers and fishermen who killed it for its flesh feathers and oil the fact that it nested in large colonies and that it could not fly resulted in its being destroyed in great numbers it held its own fairly well however until its plumage came into demand for feather beds when it disappeared no living specimen has been seen since eighteen forty two the labrador duck was the next to go but in this case the cause of extinction is not known probably it was never a very numerous species the gunners may have had something to do with its disappearance for about the middle of last century it was often seen in the markets it was not however considered very desirable for food and it is hardly likely that there was sufficient demand for it to endanger its existence possibly it was wiped out by some disease such as the epidemic which has recently played such havoc among the wild ducks and other marsh birds in utah and which we shall speak of elsewhere but whatever the cause no living labrador duck has been seen since eighteen seventy one the extermination of the passenger pigeon however was wholly due to the selfish greed of man it is said that in the early part of last century this was probably the most numerous bird on the north american 
continent in order to get a faint idea of the numbers of the passenger pigeon in the time of alexander wilson the ornithologist let us imagine if we can just one such flock as he observed near frankfort kentucky about eighteen hundred and eight the birds moved in a column whose front was more than a mile in width and flying at the rate of a mile a minute they took four long hours to pass wilson who was an accurate observer after a careful calculation estimated that this one flock contained at least two billion two hundred and thirty million two hundred and seventy two thousand pigeons audubon also gives a grand account of the armies of the passenger pigeon as observed by him in eighteen thirteen while riding from henderson to louisville he noticed the pigeons flying over in even greater numbers than usual and dismounted that he might attempt to count the number of detached flocks which passed him in an hour in twenty-one minutes he gave up the task as impracticable he says i travelled on and still the air was literally filled with pigeons the light of the noonday sun was obscured as if by an eclipse and the continual buzz of the wings had a tendency to lull my senses to repose it would seem that nothing man could do would greatly diminish such countless multitudes as these especially when audubon assures us that they at least doubled their number and not infrequently quadrupled them yearly but alas the pigeons were easy to get they had a market value and it was not against the law to kill them and this combination would have insured their extermination had there been a hundred times as many the fact that they roosted and nested in vast densely packed colonies greatly simplified matters for the destroyers and though the birds were killed wherever they were seen the great slaughters occurred at the roosts and at the nesting grounds in the time of wilson and audubon one single colony of pigeons would sometimes occupy a forest forty miles long and perhaps three to four wide every available tree of which would be laden to the breaking point with the nests wilson counted upwards of ninety nests in a single tree and some trees contained more than a hundred each nest soon contained one or two fat squabs every morning the parent birds started for their feeding-grounds vast forests of beech or oak trees perhaps possibly two or three hundred miles away and from noon until late in the afternoon they came pouring in with well-laden crops then the pigeon harvest was ripe and armies of people men women and children from the surrounding country came in to gather it some brought tents that they might camp upon the scene and others came with sacks baskets and barrels in which to collect the spoils and horses and wagons with which to remove them then began a fearful massacre in which no one thought of anything save how he could secure the greatest number of pigeons in the shortest space of time some used guns others clubs or long poles with which to beat down the frantic pigeons and still others suffocated the birds with pots of burning sulphur the fat squabs in the nests were considered even more desirable prizes than the old birds and scores of men spent their entire time in throwing to the ground by means of long poles all the nests within reach others for whom this method was too slow attacked the trees with axes bringing down a hundred nests at once eye-witnesses testified that the spectacle was an awful one savage indians and still more savage white men 
with many women and children all engaged in killing birds with hands and faces smeared with blood and with feathers sticking in their clothing many of them looked scarce human in the uncertain light as they ran back and forth over the slippery ground shouting at the tops of their voices in order to make themselves heard above the thundering roar created by the wings of millions of pigeons all night long this awful slaughter continued and at dawn the woods were seen to be carpeted with dead and dying birds sneaking away through the shadows of the woods could be seen the dim forms of mountain lions foxes wild cats skunks and other night prowlers and then in the air would appear eagles and hawks and vultures coming for their share of the feast the slaughtered pigeons were gathered up and piled in heaps until every one had all he could cart away and then droves of hogs sometimes driven from long distances were turned into the woods to fatten on the remainder year after year the massacres were repeated the unfortunate pigeons being followed from one breeding ground to another and that they were not exterminated years ago is due solely to the fact that the remaining few became so scattered that it no longer paid any one to pursue them in addition to those destroyed at the breeding grounds hundreds of thousands of old birds were trapped in clap nests upwards of three hundred sometimes being taken in a single haul and one man being able to catch perhaps six thousand in a day many were sent by schooner loads to new york where they were sold at one time for one cent apiece and they were so cheap in some places that the hogs were fed on them they have gone and america has nothing to show for her loss unless it be additional proof of the fact that no bird no matter how numerous or how prolific can long hold its own if it is repeatedly attacked on its breeding grounds several attempts were made to save the passenger pigeons by rearing flocks of them in confinement but these attempts served only to postpone for a few years the absolute extinction of the bird a flock was established at woods hole massachusetts for a time by professor c o whitman of chicago university and another occupied a large cage in the cincinnati zoological park where i have several times visited what is believed to have been the last survivor of its race this bird a female was in captivity for more than a quarter of a century and died only recently the eskimo curlew is now believed to be extinct or nearly so and again the selfishness of man is to blame this curlew was as its other common name doe bird implies a delicious table fowl and its demand for the market was the chief cause of its extermination though its actual numbers were probably never so large as those of the passenger pigeon they must have been very great dense flocks of these birds said to contain millions were often reported at points along the atlantic coast during the earlier half of last century and an immense flight in labrador in eighteen thirty three actually reminded audubon of the passenger pigeon itself the eskimo curlews nested from alaska to labrador the favorite breeding place being the barren grounds of northwestern canada they wintered in argentina and patagonia and every fall the birds appeared in almost unbelievable flocks in labrador and newfoundland and the magdalen islands where the fishermen killed great numbers and salted them down in barrels the curlews then proceeded to nova scotia where they left the land and headed for south america by way of the west indies on the magdalen islands and perhaps elsewhere they roosted in dense masses on the high beach and men armed with sticks and carrying lanterns to dazzle the birds 
slaughtered them by wholesale nor did they receive any better treatment on the new england coast where after buffeting a cold northeast storm until they were exhausted they alighted in misplaced confidence to rest their arrival was the signal for men and boys to chase and beat them down with clubs or for the market hunters and other gunners to shoot them as long as one remained on shore in eighteen seventy two they were killed in such numbers on cape cod that the boys sold them as low as six cents apiece even at such prices some of the market hunters sold hundreds of dollars worth it is little wonder that the curlews at last learned to shun the new england coast as a deadly region to be visited only at night and then only when they were too exhausted to continue their flight after spending the winter in south america the doe-birds went back to their northern homes by a different route by way of the gulf states and in the spring months were seen in great numbers on the western prairies and in the mississippi valley but they fared no better in the west than they did in new england and were massacred wherever they went if one was wounded and cried out many of its companions would at once come and hover over it and this habit must have helped in its destruction by cowboys and others the eskimo curlew was doomed its numbers began to diminish rather slowly at first but rapidly later on the great flights became less and less frequent and smaller and smaller in size until at last they ceased and the bird is now believed to be practically extinct specimens are still shot occasionally an individual was taken as late as september the fifth nineteen thirteen at east orleans massachusetts besides these birds which have gone forever there are a number more which have been persecuted until they have disappeared from the greater part of their former range and in some cases are so reduced in numbers that they will probably soon be extinct among these are the trumpeter swan the whooping crane and the carolina paroquet the last named is believed by some authorities to be extinct already but frederick h Cunard, in a recent visit to florida satisfied himself that there are a very few left in that state he did not see the birds but by carefully sifting the evidence of a number of residents he learned of the existence of at least seven individuals according to frank m chapman the extermination of the paroquet was due chiefly to four causes he says first it was destructive to fruit orchards and for this reason was killed by agriculturists second it was trapped and bagged in enormous numbers by professional bird catchers third it has been killed in myriads for its plumage and fourth it has been wantonly slaughtered by so-called sportsmen in short in the present century the paroquet has always disappeared soon after its haunts were invaded by civilized man there are many other birds which have been reduced in numbers to the danger point but i will mention but two more the great white heron and the snowy egret both of which were once distributed over a wide range extending from northern south america to new england and which were numerous in many places such as florida and the mississippi valley they had been extirpated over a very large part of this range and that they are not extinct is due to the passing of rigid laws for their protection to the setting aside as bird refuges by executive order certain suitable tracts of lands where the birds might live and nest in peace and by the patriotic efforts of a few private individuals who have established sanctuaries for the herons the curse of these birds was the beautiful plumes or aigrettes which they wore only in the nesting season and which for this reason have often been called the bridal plumes 
the story of the destruction of these herons for their plumage is perhaps the most disheartening and certainly the saddest of any connected with the killing of wild birds in this country the herons nested in large colonies and the men employed by the feather dealers to obtain the plumes would visit these colonies when the nesting season was at its height and when the mother love of the parent birds was so strong that no amount of shooting would make them leave the place here usually with small noiseless rifles the herons were shot down as they came in from the feeding-ground with food for their young as they sat upon their nests or sometimes as they came in attracted by a wounded comrade tied to a stake in the swamp as a decoy the plumes were then stripped from their backs and the bodies left to rot sad as this is it is by no means the saddest part of the story the young birds which occupied most of the nests at this season and which were of course entirely dependent on their parents for food were left to starve to death after pitifully calling sometimes for days for their parents who lay in the swamp beneath with their backs torn out that women might wear the looted plumes in their hats if anything could be more outrageous than this surely it is the recent massacre of birds on the island of Lazon. in order to give an intelligent idea of this affair it is necessary to say a few words about the island itself to most of us the word Lazon means little if anything more than a tiny dot on the map indicating the position of a wee coral island in the pacific about eight hundred miles northwest by west from honolulu but to the men who have been there the mere mention of it brings to the mind a hundred pictures representing the joys and sorrows the festivals and the tragedies in the lives of myriad birds which comprise perhaps the most unique community of feathered beings on the face of the earth it is one of many tiny islets rocks and reefs which like so many truant children straggle off from the main hawaiian group in the direction of japan specks of land insignificant enough perhaps when judged by human standards but great residential centres and nurseries for the unnumbered sea-fowl which call them home the great white albatross king of the pacific whom we see on tireless wing levying tribute on the very borders of his domains carries in his brain a chart of these islands and he has his capital at Laysan. how long this islet has been inhabited by its feathered population no man can tell but doubtless for ages small as it is barely three miles long it was a few years ago the home of millions of birds including five species found nowhere else in the world practically every square yard was occupied and thousands of latecomers were obliged to go away because there was no room for them in fact there are so many bird homes on Laysan that the tenants are obliged to live in tenement fashion some underground in burrows others on the surface and others still in the bushes above 
and quite unlike other bird homes these are used all the year round not by the same tenants to be sure for at the very moment when the families of one species are ready to move out those of another species are waiting to move in there is no quiet season in lausanne it is the scene of strange and ceaseless activity from year's end to year's end for ever this in a general way is the impression i got from a story told me by mr walter k fisher the ornithologist who formed one of the party aboard the u s fish commission steamer albatross which from march to august nineteen hundred and two was engaged in deep-sea explorations among the hawaiian islands standing on a pile of phosphate rock not far from a little pond one could overlook the largest colony of white albatrosses on the island and probably the largest in the world at certain times of the day this whole section was literally white with the snowy plumage of these great sea-birds actually numbering more than a million individuals overhead one might see and hear tens of thousands of terns apparently all screaming at once and creating such a volume of bewildering noise that one was obliged to shout in order to make one's self heard in another part of the island there were colonies of the black-footed albatross which while not so numerous would have been considered remarkable almost anywhere else but in lausanne birds eggs were everywhere and it was practically impossible to move about without destroying some they were in the grass and the bushes on the ground by hundreds of thousands and in many places it was difficult to walk on account of the burrows of petrels and sheer waters into which one would sink to the knees at almost every step there were birds overhead birds underfoot peering from every bush and from behind every tussock of grass scuttling about over the ground after food or with flopping wings attempting to lead the stranger from the vicinity of their homes red-tailed tropic birds boobies man-o-war birds rails teal bristle-thighed curlews golden plovers trunstones honey-eaters finches and miller-birds each species busy with its own affairs which not infrequently involved interference with the affairs of others and more remarkable perhaps even than the great numbers of the birds was their tameness the great albatrosses would literally meet a visitor halfway and gather about him gently examining the texture of his clothing with their bills and in other ways seeming to take as much interest in his affairs as he did in theirs mr fisher's experience with the lazon rail will give some idea of how trustful of man birds may be if they never have cause to regard him as an enemy this tiny brown bird is flightless its wings are not used at all except when the rail is hopping to a perch or hurrying very fast at which times they are spread somewhat as a domestic fowl's wings are spread under similar circumstances on one occasion mr fisher was about to photograph the nest and eggs of one of these birds and for this purpose had parted and propped back the juncus stems which hid it from view as he was about to make the exposure and with the camera only two feet away the little rail hopped back into the nest and in a business-like way began to cover herself up with the soft lining 
mr fisher photographed her several times but then desiring to get the picture of the nest and eggs he lifted her off but at once she slipped back and defeated his purpose then with the black cloth he chased her away into the tall grass a short distance and hastened back to the camera but the little rail as though determined that he should not get that picture if she could help it came skipping back and was into the nest again before the exposure could be made it would seem that here at least was a colony of birds that need not fear the destructive hand of man they had sought a refuge hundreds of miles from civilization and by their presence and their activities had made an insignificant little island into one of the wonder spots of the world beautiful trustful and defenceless these inoffensive creatures make a direct appeal to every decent instinct but as far as the plume hunters were concerned the appeal was made in vain in the spring of nineteen hundred and nine a party of twenty-three of these cold-blooded men landed on Lazan and began a work of slaughter which for heartless cruelty has perhaps never been equalled by any one else engaged in this cruel business apparently it was their intention to kill all the birds on the island and they actually succeeded in butchering three hundred thousand of these innocent creatures before the united states government in prompt response to a telegram from professor william a bryan of honolulu sent the revenue cutter thetis and stopped the killing sad and almost unbelievable sights greeted captain jacobs and the men of the thetis several acres which had been the site of teeming colonies of industrious happy birds were strewn with bones and dead bodies carloads of feathers skins and wings were ready for shipping and thousands of other wings were piled in a shed and it is the bitter truth that many of these wings had been cut from the bodies of living birds which had then been allowed to run away to bleed to death but the wretches who did this thing i cannot bring myself to call them men went farther than this they put hundreds of sea-birds in a dry cistern and allowed them to slowly starve to death because in starving they would use up the fatty tissue stored next to the skin leaving the skin free from grease and therefore much easier to prepare these birds were tortured to supply the millinery trade which some people still dare to uphold and the millinery trade required them because thoughtless women insisted on wearing these badges of cruelty in their hats when i see women wearing the plumage of wild birds i wonder if they have normal brains or indeed whether they have any brains at all it seems impossible that they should in this day still be ignorant of the misery they are causing and it seems equally impossible that if they do know it they can be so heartless as to uphold and prolong the cruel fashion fortunately many good laws have recently been passed in this country to protect the wild birds formerly used for millinery purposes and when the other civilized governments are ready to cooperate with our own we can have an international law which will practically put a stop to this traffic in wild bird plumage but it cannot be flattering to the women who persist in wearing plumage to realize that it is necessary for men to make laws to force them to give up a cruel practice but it is not the plume hunter alone who is causing our remaining wild birds to disappear there are many other kinds of hunters of these one of the worst is the so-called sportsman i use the word so-called to distinguish him from the real sportsman 
who is one of the best protectors of birds we have the real sportsman is the man who is fond of the woods and fields and streams and lakes and who when game and fish are plentiful likes to get a little for himself or a friend but who when game shows signs of decreasing does his best in every way to protect it and ensure its increase the so-called sportsman often seems to forget that any one else has an interest in the game he sometimes acts as though he owned it all and proceeds to take it all or as nearly all of it as he can get it never seems to occur to him that there is a limit to the number of birds which it is fair for him to shoot even when they are plentiful or that he should refrain entirely from shooting when they are scarce he fights to prevent the passage of any good law which may be framed with a view to saving the sorely harassed birds if it in any way interferes with his own pleasure he shoots all the birds the law permits him to even when he knows that the law is unfair to the birds and that they cannot hold their own against it if there is no law to stop him he kills all the birds he can and resorts to the use of automatic and pump guns and other unfair weapons because it is not sport but birds that he is trying to get with such weapons as these in a place where birds are plentiful a man can kill from two hundred to four hundred wild ducks or wild geese in a day the damage which can be inflicted on game birds and waterfowl by this class of gunner has been greatly increased by the invention of the automobile and the power-boat both of which enable him to hunt over a vastly wider field in a given time than was possible before as a destroyer of game birds the market hunter is perhaps the worst of all most other gunners go hunting occasionally or for a few days at a time but the market man makes a business of hunting and if the law permits goes out every day as long as there are any birds left to shoot of course he uses the automatic and pump shot guns because with them he can get more birds and more birds to him mean more money the farmers are to a large extent responsible for the great decrease among our birds of prey they are not the only ones to blame for it there are many gunners who cannot resist the temptation to shoot at large conspicuous birds of any kind but the farmers more than any others perhaps kill hawks and owls more or less systematically because they believe these birds one and all to be destroyers of poultry in one way it is quite natural that they should believe this it is easy to notice a hawk come down into one's poultry-yard and fly away with a hen or even a chicken which one knows by sight and it is easy to appreciate the loss because it is immediate and definite the value of the chicken being known but it is much less easy to keep in sight that same hawk or another as day after day he picks up mice in the distant fields and though the gain to the farm through the destruction of the mice may be many times greater than the loss sustained by the killing of the chicken the exact amount of it is not known to the farmer and moreover he does not get it at once the one thing that is really clear to him is that a hawk has caused him a loss and without looking any farther he decides to prevent losses of that kind by killing every hawk he sees when laws are passed to prevent the killing of birds he sees to it that the hawks are not included in the list of birds protected by it and sometimes he goes farther than this and demands that a reward or bounty be paid by the state for every hawk killed 
the foreigners who come to our shores from countries where people are not taught to respect the rights of birds are another great menace to our feathered neighbors especially to the song-birds the lower classes of italians are among the worst of these offenders and it will help us to understand the problem if we glance at conditions in their own country in italy not even song-birds are protected in addition to what we call game-birds thrushes skylarks goldfinches redstarts siskins crossbills woodpeckers nuthatches titmice warblers and scores of others are regarded as game and are sold for food in every market in italy as shown in the case of birds hunted for their plumage wherever there is a market to be supplied there will be people willing to supply it and throughout italy there are thousands of men who do nothing else but catch and kill song-birds to be eaten by their fellow-countrymen thousands and tens of thousands are offered at from two cents to five cents apiece threaded on strings and sold in bunches as we sell beets or onions most of these birds are brought in by professional bird-catchers some of them are shot some taken with snares or bird-lime but probably by far the greater number are captured in nets of various kinds many of these nets are used in connections with what are known as rocolos permanent bird traps established in carefully chosen spots often situated on hillsides in valleys along some natural migration route rocolos vary in size and some are more elaborate than others but the essentials are a clump or grove of trees to invite the attention of passing birds a few little songsters to call and make the place appear homelike a net of fine threads to entangle the victims of this treachery and the fowler who kills the captured birds and sells them to be eaten the fowler or keeper of the rocolo lives close by in a little building which sometimes takes the form of a tower from which he can watch the nets and in which he deposits his catch in a pile on the floor hidden from view by the screen of trees hang a number of small cages containing little birds whose eyes have been burned out with red-hot wires because blind birds call more often than those which can see these wretched little prisoners by their calls and by their song for they sing too at times all unknowingly lure the wild birds to their death if birds come near but hesitate on the outside trees the fowler by means of a sort of racket thrown through the air makes a sound like the whistling of a hawk's wings and down plunge the frightened song-birds to their doom as they struggle in the net the fowler comes forth from his hiding-place seizes them roughly kills them by thrusting a sharpened stick through their heads and tosses their pathetic little bodies on top of the growing heap on the floor of his dwelling and there are hundreds of such rocolos each of them destroying thousands many of them tens of thousands of birds during a single migration is it any wonder that the italians have no song-birds of their own this terrible trade can be carried on now only because many of the migratory birds from other parts of europe come down through italy in order to shorten their flight across the mediterranean is it any wonder that ignorant italian laborers fresh from a country where this sort of thing is not only permitted but encouraged should on landing here make themselves a set of snares and a wad of bird-lime by cheap guns and set out to catch and kill anything and everything that wears feathers they are not necessarily either bad or lawless 
many of them land in this country which they have been taught is the freest in the world probably never doubting that they have at least as much right to kill things here as they had in italy they cannot read our books and papers and when they meet a game warden they do not know who he is nor what he is saying they only understand in a general way that he is trying to stop them from doing what they think they have a perfect right to do they are naturally hot-tempered and quick to resent what they believe to be an injustice and serious trouble for the game warden is often the result i remember a few years ago watching a surgeon removing shot from the face of a policeman who had been shot by an italian poacher in the middlesex fells reservation near boston he had chased the man who deliberately turned around and let him have both barrels i am not defending the italian shooter of songbirds he is doing wrong and we must absolutely stop him but we shall be able to do this in a wiser surer way if we understand the kind of man we have to deal with and realize that he is not entirely to blame for his attitude toward our wild life in another chapter i shall give some suggestions for dealing with this problem the negroes and poor white folks of our southern states are even worse than the ignorant foreigners for they slaughter our songbirds not by scores but by hundreds and sometimes by thousands sad to say robins and other songsters are still ruthlessly destroyed in many of our southern states they are killed for food and the negroes and poor whites supply the markets when the holly berries are ripe the robins gather by tens of thousands to feed upon them and their coming is the signal for every negro who can afford a three-dollar gun to get out and shoot them the robins are also very fond of cedar berries and during the winter months where these are plentiful they gather in immense flocks the fact that they roost in the cedars at night makes possible another form of slaughter men and boys with torches each climb a tree while companions with poles and clubs disturb the robins and cause them to fly about dazzled by the torches the sleepy robins fly to the torch-bearer who kills them by either pinching their necks or pulling their heads off and drops their bodies into a bag three or four hundred birds represent a fair night's work for a man and sometimes there are a hundred or more men engaged the contribution of a single southern village in a year will sometimes amount to hundreds of thousands of birds and there are many villages it is hardly to be wondered at if we fail to see large numbers of robins on our lawns in the spring the ignorant southern negroes are a problem in themselves in the nesting season or out of it it makes no difference to them in gangs large and small armed with cheap guns and followed by mongrel bird-dogs they rake the country killing everything that flies or runs worst of all perhaps they burn over large tracts of land destroying the natural cover for the birds making it easy to pot the few which might otherwise have found shelter at the time and preventing the area from being used as a breeding-ground or as a refuge for years to come nevertheless thanks to improved laws to campaigns of education and to a firmer stand taken by the cultivated people of the south matters are much better than they were a few years ago and the outlook for the future is hopeful lumber camps and mining camps are often responsible for the local extermination of certain birds when as often happens such camps are at a considerable distance from a large town it is difficult and expensive to supply the men with fresh beef mutton or pork and if there are game birds or waterfowl in the vicinity they are sure to suffer 
such birds are killed in large numbers not only to supply immediate needs but for future use so that when an opportunity presents itself the men kill all they can get a great deal of damage has been done and is still done at certain times and places by the small boy who has not been taught a proper regard for bird life with air-gun slingshot trap and snare he can quickly become a terror to the birds within walking distance of his home and if he adds to these methods of destruction the offence of taking birds eggs he can increase the destruction manyfold usually i think it is not the boy's fault to a quite natural curiosity to see at close range or to possess certain beautiful things which have attracted his attention is added the joy of proving his quickness in discovery his cleverness in outwitting or his skill in capturing or killing the object of his desire his curiosity has not been led into safer channels he has not been shown more useful ways in which to prove his cleverness and skill the scientific collector of birds is one against whom popular indignation is often directed or perhaps i should say misdirected because he is occasionally seen shooting birds which other people are not allowed to shoot i do not collect birds myself and i do not believe in permitting people to collect birds simply because they would like to have collections but there are in every state certain scientific men who are giving a great deal of time to the study of birds with a view to adding to our knowledge of ornithology and it is my belief that these men should be permitted to collect they should i think be allowed to take such birds as are needed and few of them will take more than this i am acquainted with many collectors and most of them are not only conscientious gentlemen but loyal supporters of the cause of bird protection some of them do not shoot more than a bird or two a year after a reasonable working collection has been made i know one an enthusiast too who has shot only one bird in two years one market hunter will kill more birds than all the scientific men in his state put together bird enemies for which man is chiefly responsible in addition to the losses which man inflicts on birds directly he does further damage indirectly through the activities of certain animals for whose present status he is to a greater or less extent responsible of these far and away the most destructive is the house cat she belongs to a family of highly carnivorous animals and as compared with the dog is only about half domesticated her wonderful body is specially designed for capturing and overpowering creatures weaker than herself and song-birds seem to be her favourite prey when they nest in the trees or shrubs or on arbours in the garden her wonderful ability as a climber enables her to invade their nests when they come to the ground for food or water she lies in wait and springs upon them she hunts by day and by night and when she is abroad there are few places where birds are safe mr chapman america's best-known ornithologist and a most careful and accurate writer says in our own opinion there are not less than twenty-five million cats in the united states and there may be twice that number a house cat has been known to kill fifty birds in a season and a naturalist than whom none is better qualified to judge believes that five hundred thousand birds are annually killed by cats in new england alone apply these figures to the cats and the country at large and the result is appalling mabel osgood wright president of the connecticut audubon society and author of bird craft citizen bird and other works who has had a wide experience with both birds and cats assures us that the evidence of men and women whose words are incontestable 
would verify my most radical statement but one fact is beyond dispute if the people of the country insist on keeping cats in the same numbers as at present all the splendid work of federal and state legislation all the labors of game and song-bird protective associations all the loving care of individuals in watching and feeding will not be able to save our native birds in many localities edward howe forbush state ornithologist of massachusetts a careful writer who is always sure of his ground tells us of the situation in his own state nearly a hundred correspondents scattered through all the counties of the state report the cat as one of the greatest enemies of the birds the reports that have come in of the torturing and killing of birds by cats are absolutely sickening the number of birds killed by them in this state is appalling it is quite true however that some cats do not kill many birds and that some intelligent or high-bred cats may be taught not to kill any some cat lovers believe that each cat kills on the average not more than ten birds a year but i have learned of two instances where more than that number were killed in a single day and another where seven were killed if we assume however that the average cat on the farm kills but ten birds in a year and that there is one cat on each farm in massachusetts we have in round numbers seventy thousand cats killing seven hundred thousand birds annually with the material at hand it would be a simple matter for the writer to fill a book with the testimony of conservative people naturalists game wardens owners of bird sanctuaries yes and avowed cat lovers too all pointing to the fact that cats despite their wonderful beauty of form and movement and their many charming ways are among the most cruel and destructive of all bird enemies the writer himself has seen not a little of this destructive work on the part of cats his own and others he was a cat lover once owned seven attractive cats and knows all their lovable attributes from amiability to wistfulness but they were seen devouring young birds in their nests before the eyes of their grief frantic parents they were seen torturing terror-stricken adult birds for which they had lain in wait and when their owner made up his mind that this sort of thing would go on as long as they lived death swift and painless removed them from their feather-strewn path the most destructive cats as a rule are those which either have no owners or whose owners so neglect them that they are obliged to forage for themselves and these constitute a very large proportion of our cat population among them are the so-called tramp cats and stray cats with which many parts of our country are overrun in the city of new york alone the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals destroys over fifty thousand homeless cats a year and it is a disgrace to that wonderful city that the conditions which make such destruction necessary are permitted to exist in a later chapter will be given some suggestions looking to the possible solution of this very serious problem badly trained dogs also at certain times and places are destructive to birds this is sometimes true of dogs belonging to people living on islands or on the coast and allowed to range over the breeding grounds of sea-birds when not under proper control such dogs are apt to get the habit of chasing the birds and of driving them off their nests and sometimes they will eat the eggs or young dr charles h townsend tells me that the eskimo dogs of labrador which in summer are turned loose to forage for themselves are often destructive to bird life and probably eat the eggs and young of all species which they find nesting on the ground pigs if not actually born with a taste for eggs and nestlings soon acquire one and it is safe to say that they never fail to devour such delicacies when an opportunity presents itself if given free access to a colony of birds 
which nest on the ground pigs will gobble up the contents of every nest it is said that pigs were the chief cause of the extinction of the dodo a large flightless bird which inhabited the island of mauritius man is also responsible for the presence in this country at least of the european sparrow and the european starling the first is and has been for many years a well-known pest and a serious enemy of our native song-birds unfortunately its bad character and offensive habits are too well known to require description in detail hardy and pugnacious and present in numbers that would baffle a census-taker sparrows often attack and kill our smaller native birds they can make their bulky nests almost anywhere but seem to prefer nest boxes when these are to be had in many localities by reason of their great numbers they will occupy all the nest boxes with entrance holes large enough to admit them to the exclusion of bluebirds tree swallows and other more desirable tenants so the latter are often forced to leave the little homes which we have put up on purpose for them leave their favourite haunts in our gardens and orchards and take their chances of finding nesting sites away off in the wilderness perhaps in the summer when we put out bird baths for our thirsty song-birds down come the sparrows and nothing else in feathers can get near the water in the winter when we attempt to feed our native birds the sparrows come in hordes to the exclusion of practically all other species the end of it is that thousands of people who are anxious to do something to help our native birds become discouraged when they find that the chief result of their efforts is an increase in the size of the local flock of sparrows if the european sparrows were very useful birds or fine songsters or if they had unusually beautiful plumage there would be some compensation for the dearth of native birds which they create but sad to say usually they are neither useful nor ornamental on the contrary they are often very destructive as mr ned dearborn points out in his farmer's bulletin the english sparrow as a pest it destroys fruit as cherries grapes pears and peaches it also destroys buds and flowers of cultivated trees shrubs and vines in the garden it eats seeds as they ripen and nips off tender young vegetables especially peas and lettuce as they appear above the ground it damages wheat and other grains whether newly sown ripening or in shocks as a flock of fifty sparrows requires daily the equivalent of a quart of wheat the annual loss caused by these birds throughout the country is very great a thorough investigation of the subject by the department of agriculture shows that while european sparrows do a certain amount of good by the destruction of insects in summer and of weed seeds in the fall and winter they do such a vast amount of damage that there is comparatively little to be said in their favour the european starling threatens to create another problem for the american bird-lover less than twenty years ago the range of the starling in this country did not extend beyond the boundaries of new york city now the bird has overrun or rather overflown all the surrounding states and may be seen in large flocks at all seasons its economic status has not been fully determined yet but from what i can learn it seems to be a more useful bird than the european sparrow it is certainly more pleasing to look at it has a more pleasant voice and it is comparatively clean and dainty in its habits being partial to nest boxes no doubt it would crowd out our native birds were it not for the fact that many of them having smaller bodies can use entrance holes through which the foreign bird cannot pass so let us cheer up the worst is already here End of chapter four